0: Hi, I'm Bastian Schweinziger and this is BR Football Ranks. ranked squad. The world keeps turning and the pods keep on churning. Ericsson's on the move. Cavani's in the news. Liverpool can't lose, but they still can't beat the Shrews. The windows go, go, go. Neymar's found his flow. Haaland's on a tear and we're here to make you care. This is BR Football Ranks. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your narrator as we move through the football world at pace, with skill and here to play perfect one-twos is BR Football's finest. The big man in the middle, breaking up play like Sander Burge. It's rank god, Sam Aren't I? more of a target man thank you and my fellow pocket rocket pirouetting round transfer rumors with the grace of a prime inter milan
1: christian erickson it's melon maestro dean jones nice comparison mate. i'm very much like Ericsson. better ha- better hair though better more hair. hair yeah and i'm older one nil, <laughs> dean yeah
2: dean <laughs> hasn't had his
0: pictures taken in the scarlet theater in milan today in, <laughs> which is unbelievable i can't believe the inter take their photos in an opera house they're like oh Here you are. Welcome to Milan. Yeah, this is what it's going to be. Hot take, Sam. Do you want to kick us off? As usual, as you know, I've been
2: keeping my beady little eye on football across Europe over the last month. And I can tell you who the best player in the world on form in 2020 is right now. Okay. If somebody walked through that door, somebody important, obviously, and handed me the 2020 Ballon d'Or and said, Sam, you know your stuff. You've done your research. Give this to the man who has been performing best this year. Just 2020. Just 2020. I would give it to a forward who plays in Serie A. He's over 30 years of age. He's played for a few top teams. He's always been good. But boy, has he found his groove. He has scored seven goals this month. It's Josip Ilicic of Atalanta. I'm sure that's who everyone thought everyone was for, guessing that. Wow. Huh? wow, wow. This guy. I mean, look, we've spoken about him a little bit on the podcast over the last year, mostly when we've done our culture episodes with Alex McGovern. And we we talked about how he's a, a bit of a sort of journeyman winger forward, um sensationally talented, brilliant dribbler and a good goal scorer, amazing left foot, but has just struggled for consistency for a long long time. And he's 31 years of age now. Yeah. So it's like, on a it's bit. been he's been a thing for a while, but he has been He's had the same flaws for a decade or so. But playing for this Atalanta side, who obviously heading into this round of 16 Champions League tie with Valencia very shortly, he has really found his groove. For some reason, at 31 of all ages, it has finally clicked. The seven goals this month is impressive. He's got one assist as well. But it was this weekend when Atalanta beat Torino 7-0. as an absolute pasting where he scored a hat-trick. One of the goals was a free kick from about two yards into Torino's half. It's, it's basically halfway ball. line. Incredible. They, they lump the ball up and, and the defender basically tries to chest it down and ends up handballing it. It's it's kind of rubbish. Um, and instead of, you know, when you see players kind of hang over the ball and stop a free kick being taken and then get told to usher away. Puts it down, the down for The defender, him. he just walks off and leaves it. And it, it, turns, it's, but it. Never turn your back. Never turn your back. He does. And the his goalkeeper is outside of his box. Illiterate spots it, runs up to it, and just smashes it in. And to be fair, like obviously he's got a big target to aim at, but I think he hits the top corner. Like it's not it just drops
1: just at the it's corner. It's not just yeah. like a
2: fifty yard lob from the from the halfway line. He even he even manages to put it in Still top bits. Nice. Amazing. So it's an incredible hit. That was a hat-trick. The crowning moment of what was an incredible individual yeah. performance. And like it, it arguably wasn't even like I mean it was, but like he's actually got a top three best goals this month. Which would rival any goal of the season competition because he scored a spinning backheel against Spal, and he scored a side volley from twelve yards against Palmer. Mm-hmm. The guy is magic. He's a one-man highlights machine incredible. at the moment. Incredible. He's awesome, and he has been. He's been the best player in Europe this year uh, in 2020 so far. I mean, look, we've got they've got some big contenders, and you know that's against some big big names.
0: But Ilicic is a joke. Atalanta have been on a bit of a tear. They've scored 57 goals in Serie A this season, which is the most in the division by 10. 17 more than Cristiano's Juventus, 15 more than free-scoring Lautaro and Lukaku at Inter Milan. You know, this is a side that are pure entertainment value. And yes, they're a bit hit in my, like you say, boom or bust. In the last six weeks, they've won 5-0 twice, won 7-0 and lost to L- Spal L- uh, and they lost to Vir- Fiorentina yeah. in the Coppa Italia yeah. it is very much yeah. hit and miss with Atalanta but when they when it's hit, good, Dean what's your hot take?
1: Well we're heading towards deadline day now which is always a fun day for me <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the best player that anybody could grab right now that is gettable is is Christoph Piontek. So let's see if somebody can actually seal this deal before deadline day, because there's not many players out there that I think can change a club's season. And I think that he is one that actually has the ability to. Now, Tottenham looked at getting him a couple of weeks ago and pulled back from the deal because AC Milan said, if you want him, that's fine. You can have him on loan, but you have to buy him at the end of the season for 35 million euros, which is what we paid for him. And Tottenham were not willing to go down that route. They know they've got Kane coming back If Piontek doesn't fit in, then they don't want to have to buy him. So that that deal went away and it looked dead. But Milan, I've been told, have changed their stance on this now. No longer an obligation, but there's an option to buy. Or you could also get him just with a €10 million loan fee for the season and that's done. Suddenly there's a bit more interest from Premier League clubs. So Chelsea are now interested. Tottenham are back interested again. And there's a small chance Man United come back into this equation and they look at him. There's three clubs there, all in need of a striker. I say to all those clubs, go for it. Like He's Do not you. perfect. Yeah, he's not perfect, yeah. but he's a natural goal. So, I saw some tweets replying to you, and people
2: were doubting Piontek's ability. You, Massively. You, you were praising him and they were doubting it. So what's what's
1: what's the situation there? Like I just think that if you're going to play Piontek, you have to play to his strength. You've got to find the perfect foil for him mm. and the right environment. And at AC Milan, it's... There's been too many times when the environment didn't suit him and they weren't playing to his natural um, ability, the things that he's best at, the traits that you need for... Honest, you need him fighting the ball in the right areas inside the box. Sometimes his link-up play isn't the best. Well, no, he's, I think he's quite limited as a player. Yeah, I think he I does agree. three and or I, four things extremely well. But at well. Milan, they were really expecting him to link up the play a lot of the time. And yeah. You're not going to get the best out of him if you play like that because their system was wholly
2: broken. And yeah. Now they're succeeding more because Zlatan is such an all-encompassing uh-huh. figure up front that you can you can paper over a lot of cracks in the build-up if you have a player like Zlatan. It needs
0: to be pinpoint accurate to get Piontek into those positions. But well, I think it's it's interesting that they haven't really tried to use Piontek off Zlatan yet. You know they've been experimenting with a couple of formations. We've seen two up front. We've seen Leal. Rafael Leal with up there with yeah. him. And, and don't get me wrong, that's no indictment. I think Leao's a wonderful player, and I yeah. think maybe his, his ceiling is actually higher than, yeah, than Piontek's. I, I think so. But he, you know, it's weird that we haven't seen Piontek in a more advanced position ahead of Zlatan because actually that kind of does fill the gap that, that we I were talking about. I think he'd for it as well. The point I was going to make and, and to play devil's advocate a little bit is that if you are Tottenham or Man United, Chelsea a little bit different because they obviously have striking options, you're looking for someone to carry the weight of the goal-scoring burden that's missing from Rashford and Kane on your shoulders immediately almost, right? And... To put Piontek, obviously he moved to Milan and the pressure did seem to get to him a little bit in some ways. Obviously he started really well, scored a lot of goals to begin with and then this season it hasn't quite worked for him. It does seem to have got to him the kind of magnitude of the situation yeah. and stuff. If you go into Tottenham or Man United, are you not going to have a very similar kind of sitch?
1: Well, I don't see it as a gamble if you haven't got to buy him anyway. It's, it's a short-term loan. So mm. now that that's opened up, but well, that wasn't open before because I completely understood why Tottenham wouldn't have gone through with having to buy him for €35 million. Euros. But now that that doesn't have to be the case, I think, well, OK, is €10 million Euros on a loan deal going to really change the landscape of your future planning? It shouldn't do if, you, if you've done... If your, you're a well-run club. If you're a well-run which, club, which then that United shouldn't really change the landscape too much. If you're Man United right now, if anything, it appeases the fans and gives them something to get excited about as well. He will score some goals. Dean, if I was to push
0: you, do you have a guess as to where Piontek will be on February the 1st?
1: If I was to really go for it, I'd say Spurs 1, Chelsea 2, United 3. And where do Milan, as in staying there, where do they feature in that ranking? Like, is he more likely oh, to Yeah, or? I mean, I, the most the most likely thing is he does just end up staying at Milan, for sure. Right. Okay. Look, we recorded that on Tuesday afternoon. By the time people to this. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday afternoon we'll is see how the we are. Are.
0: Right, I want to talk about the FA Cup, because I love the FA Cup, uh, and the backlash to Jurgen Klopp's comments. So... I think Jürgen Klopp is a, a principled man. His quote was this about the replay against Shrewsbury. He says, In April 2019, we got a letter from the Premier League where they asked us to respect the winter break, not to organise friendlies and not to organise competitive games in respect of it. I've said to the boys already two weeks ago that we will have a winter break, so it means we will not be there at the replay. It will be the kids that play that game because they cannot deal with us like nobody cares about the winter break. I know it's not very popular, but that's the way I see it and how I said the Premier League asked us to respect the winter break and that's what we're going to do. If the FA does not respect it, then we cannot change that, but we will not be there. He then went on to say that Neil Critchley, who managed the League Cup game against Aston Villa uh, and the youth team there while Liverpool were out at the Club World Cup, will be managing the game against Shrewsbury. I think this is really quite unfair, and I actually don't have a massive problem with him resting all his Mm first-team squad. If he wants to play the kids in the FA Cup, then then fair enough. They beat Everton, fair enough. They beat Everton, they probably deserve a chance, and and also, you know, those kids are multi-multi-multi-talented. There there is so many good players in that bunch. What I do have a massive problem with is Klopp not managing it. Why? Because... All the players are resting physically to, you know, get themselves back in order. The whole point is about physical condition, about allowing the players to length because there's a summer tournament for a lot of them this year. There's going to be, you know, more in the tank and they want to have a rest so they don't get injured. Fair enough. The manager doesn't need that. The manager does not need a physical break from managing. Maybe he needs a mental break. Potentially, but he can have that in the summer when the players are all at the Euros.
1: I don't know. I think Klopp's on the verge of something very, very special, historic at Liverpool. And if he wants to use those two weeks to map out the final months of his season, figure out what lineups he wants to use against teams in the Champions League and and in the Premier League to get that done, that should be his priority and he's got every right to do that. That's fine. Again, that's reasonable, fair enough, but just turn up.
0: Like, Critchley can do all the tactics, whether turn up, show some respect to your opposition. But what if he stand wants to go skiing? <laughs> yeah, stand in the dugout. You know, the whole thing is, Shrewsbury fans will be absolutely over the moon that they've got a, a replay at Anfield. And also, the club has already come out and said, this is crucial to us, it gives us finances to kick yeah. on forwards, all of these different things. They're going to start like a video analysis department off the back of this. Precisely. It's huge. Well, we got a quote from our friends over at the Anfield Wrap to see what they made of the situation. Here's what they said. <laughs>
3: I think to completely understand this, you need to sort of be aware of the fact that Jurgen Klopp is in a long-term campaign. If you like, for less games of football, for players' welfare to be thought about more, and also for better planning, this feels like a bit of a failure in planning, to be honest with you. When the uh, the Premier League are writing to clubs, asking them to respect this two-week break and not arrange games, and then and then suddenly they can be thrown in just because of of cup draws and so he's frustrated at the moment generally he's frustrated with the FA he's frustrated with FIFA he's frustrated with UEFA as well over the, the idea around extending the Champions League and he, he sort of feels like no one's standing up for the footballers and so he's made it his crusade if you like to do so He also gets fed up that people don't listen. He said that a few times in press conferences. You know what, I'm just saying these words, but kind of no one's listening to me. So I think his extreme stance in this can be sort of understood better if you understand that he's maybe of the viewpoints that actions speak louder than words and if someone doesn't do something then no one will ever listen. Got a lot of long-term injuries at the moment from I think from overplaying you look at Marcus Rashford playing in a third round cup replay you've got someone like Harry Kane breaking down and so you know it's all well and good saying how much these lads get paid but if they're not able to actually physically go on the pitch to entertain people then what is the point? So... I think that's where he's coming from. Whether he's cutting his nose off to the spite of his face, whether it's a, it's disrespecting the FA Cup, then that is for other people to decide. But this one is an over certain and it won't be the last to hear about the general fixture madness from Yin Club.
0: Thank you to Gibbo from the Anfield Rap. Obviously been a guest long-term friend of the pod. In terms of, well, he thinks, same as you, Dean. He's, you know, willing to say that this is Klopp's principled stance on the matter and he's just yeah. standing by what he We've believes. We've got to
1: remember, in. like, since the first day he arrived in the Premier League... He didn't even, I don't think he even realised when he first came that we didn't have a winter break. I think he might have actually had a skiing holiday booked when he first arrived at Liverpool because, like, that's just they, that's how they they deal with things in Europe. They get a proper break. We've actually got a winter break coming up in the Premier League and it's, it's pretty a, much it's a half break. It's a half break because there's games every few days. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, everyone gets two weeks, don't
1: they? Everyone that's gets like two it. weeks, but there are a lot of games over that two week period. So it's, it's just in two different yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah, two so, different yeah. weeks. Fair it's enough. It's all scattered. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, I just I just think Jürgen Klopp should turn up and
2: manage the team because that's his job. I right? just
0: think that's as simple as that. Right, after the break, we are going to be looking forward to the rest of the season and discussing five clubs that we are worried about with the next six months and beyond in mind. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for the big ranking. Sam you've got a short list of the clubs that you are worried about going into the second half of this season. I imagine there are some parameters here. So I imagine you want to lay down the law before you get going. Yeah. I'm very worried about lots of things. As you know, Jack, I, I'm a big, a I'm a big
2: worrier. An but anxious these, man. these five clubs in particular, I'm very, very concerned for some of it's to do with the fact that they haven't done any transfers or haven't done enough in the market. And I'm worried about them if they don't do certain things over the next few days. Yeah. Some of it, it's just more of a general worry. I just worry for them, uh, you know, most nights just before i go to sleep and then first thing again when i wake up in the morning um so i'm going to present each of the five clubs and and an if which is like so for example at number five i'm worried about atletico madrid if they don't sign edinson cavani or a striker that fits their bill and
0: yeah i mean we're recording this two days before the window shuts yeah it's there are possibilities for last minute deals to go through yeah. but as we discussed last week on the podcast last minute deals are often ones that we struggle with and ones that don't necessarily go to plan because mm. a bit more panicky so yeah. there, there are ifs and buts here but right now
2: this yeah. is how it's so if you if you happen to listen to this after the friday deadline obviously you'll know if some of these things happened and therefore you will know that my concerns have been assuaged and i'm sleeping well eight hours a night <laughs> i wake up fresh in the morning i'm not concerned about these clubs but right now they really do worry oh, me. Sweats. Atletico Madrid can't score goals. It's really bad. They've scored 22 goals in the league this year. They've started 2020 quite poorly. 0-0 against Real Madrid in the Supercoppa final, lost on penalties. Lost 2-0 to Bar. drew 0-0 at the weekend against 10-man Leganes. Defensively, they are still sound. They always are. They've got the second-best defensive record in La Liga. 14 goals conceded, second only to Real Madrid with 13. That's never the concern. It's the goals. And they've cycled through lots of different options. They've tried a few different things. Nothing's really working. They get a player that comes up and plays really well for say three weeks. And then another one does, but they've got no consistent outlet. So like Angel Correa will just like be amazing for three weeks mm. and then he'll disappear again. And then somebody else will pop up and Maratta has a nice hot streak, but we know you can't rely on Maratta. Pre season, I was so excited about the Jao Felix Diego Costa tandem. But Costa's fallen right off it this season. Oh, no idea really what's gone on
1: yeah. with Diego Costa. He's is. injured right now, isn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah. But there have been small, yeah. minor injuries that have kind of plagued his season. Yeah. Even when he isn't injured, Even he doesn't he seem yeah. to be in favour. And mm. we saw, Sam, Atleti take Real Madrid apart at the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, in the ICC before the season began. And obviously it's not a complete picture because it's a pre-season game and all these things. But that tandem, that partnership, yeah. Felix and Diego Costa, was unbelievable. They yeah. set up, I think, three goals for each other within the first 25 minutes. It was chaos.
2: It was. It's why I was so excited to see them, them move into the new season and why I was quite optimistic about Atletico's, Madrid, Madrid's chances in, in, in certain competitions. Uh, obviously, hasn't quite panned out. Things haven't quite gone so well. So they are in a position in January where they do need to sign a striker. They've been trying to sign Cavani for... 28 days and counting. It hasn't happened just yet, or may not. I guess we
1: can throw to Dean and ask uh, about what's happening. to be my next question. Yeah. Dean, what's going on with Ed Singavani? Yeah, well, um, PSG just want more money than Atleti have been willing to pay, basically double the 15 million euros that um, Atleti are willing to initially put down on so, this. so they want thirty million, yeah,
0: for a player with a, six months left in his contract. That's, that's, and, he's, for, and he's what
1: thirty. They just up the ante. They're just like, well, let's see how far we can stretch this, right? Um, so <laughs> it might be that Atleti end up getting the player for what they want. It might be they end up paying a bit more. I'm sure they won't uh, meet those demands. But the player's agent and representatives have been in Madrid trying to get this deal over the line. Agreed the terms for him. Seems like that's going pretty well uh PSG just been the big hold up and, and the fee agreed and in the meantime there's been other clubs trying to get involved there's been a, a, a few loan inquiries um again Tottenham Chelsea Man United all right in there because that's the that's the solution for them um see out there after the season we'll pay a small amount of money can it be done would he walk for free in the summer then yeah I guess that's that's the option we're looking at but um I I think a pre agreement I don't understand this at all. It feels
0: like a weird thing to happen for someone to be loaned out for six months, only that then they walk inside. Because you'd imagine no one's going to pay 15 million for a loan fee, right? No. But if Atleti are offering fifteen million up front for him now, with six months left in his contract, surely that's more financially viable to PSG. Why wouldn't PSG them just loan sending... him to Atletico? What's going on? Like, well, if yeah, well, Atletico, right? Well, we'll give you four million for a six month loan, and then we'll sign him on a pre contract. Yeah, You're like they've
1: they've shot themselves in the foot. Surely, no? Yeah, the pre contract things are, are weird. Though, I was speaking to Sam about this, and there are loopholes in them whereby even if you sign a pre agreement with Atleti. Apparently, it's still quite easy to sign the player on a loan before they complete that move. It doesn't happen very often, because I guess it, there are complications to it. But there, it is possible. Um, so, like Man United, like maybe we'll try and get him on a short-term loan, even after he's agreed a deal just, to deal with Athletic.
0: You're PSG, there's no need to do this. It just seems like a really strange thing. You, they're offering you fifteen million euros or you get a nominal fee for a six-month loan deal before he walks away for free anyway. Like yeah. Financially, that yeah. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense.
2: Look, back, back to Cavani-Atletico. I think it's a, those, like, Simeone and Cavani, he feels like a perfect Atletico striker. No, he does. Maybe a little bit, it's probably three years too late to be a, a genuinely iconic signing, but it can still work. Atletico need this player. They need a form of goal scorer, Otherwise, they are going to get trampled by Liverpool in the Champions League, in my opinion. They are not good enough to to withhold that pressure without a goal-scoring outlet against a team like that. And then the, the season becomes about trying to finish third or even fourth, because it's not going so well. I do think it's really important that Atletico don't chuck money at this. They haven't done so far, and I hope they don't panic, because they are going through something of a transitional period. Having said goodbye to uh, like Diego Godin and Felipe Luis and Juan Fran in the summer, look, It's going to take a little bit of time as you usher in this kind of second version of Atletico players. And it's been an up and down six months and there's no reason to just chuck more money because they've got depth. They've got quality. It just needs to take hold. But that crowning piece up top, boy, could they use that. And I I think that if they don't sign a striker, if they don't sign Cavani, I think their season will probably will probably deteriorate a little bit. I still I would still bat them to finish fourth but I'd be worried about the ability to finish third and they'll be going out in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Okay. Right, who's in at number four then? In at number four, I am concerned about Tottenham Hotspur if they don't sign a striker to replace (laughs) Harry Kane and a right back and a a few other things as well. Potentially a left back. And potentially a left back. There's a lot of things there, but let's centre it on the Kane argument. Um, As we record... Steven Bergwijn of PSV is be
0: agreed in uh, in discussions on the contract.
2: Yeah, so we think that's gonna go through. Bergvine has played a little bit up front this season. He's played some centre forward for PSV. I don't think he looks like a Mourinho striker at all. At no, all. Yeah. So even if you're signing Bergvine, who I think is a good player, yeah, and right. even with Jedson Fernandez through the door on an 18 month loan with an option to buy another good player, they've they've done some, they're doing some good business this this month. But if Harry Kane's hamstring injury is as bad as it seems, which is like an April return date, and you consider earliest. and you yeah, and you consider Jose Mourinho's style, typical style and what we've seen at Tottenham so far, which is um, pass it to Kane and then all of the second strikers that he fields in whatever coordination he chooses all run around him like mad, get the ball and do something with it. That is as simplistic as it gets and that is exactly what it is. You need the right type of striker to, to, to hold the line. Piontek is not that player. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Bergvine is not that player. I'll tell you who William, is. William Edison jo- C- Jose. <laughs> Edison Cavani. Edison Cavani <laughs> and William Jose. Yeah. they Of, of Are they all looking at? who they've looked at, who they've been linked to. Zay Luis, they were linked to as well, of Porto. He could do that. So, I mean, he's a big lad. I honestly haven't seen Zay Luis that much recently. Llando so sure Lorente. Llorente is, is a player that could do that. Um, obviously, he wasn't that great for tottenham before but i also i'm um, of the belief that a big guy like that needs to get a three or four games in a row to get going yeah. and they can look horrible back, if they don't if they don't look sharp
0: william jose if he does go spurs their replacement they're looking for is fernando Lorente. and you're like what's going on <laughs> why is there so much chaos happening yeah um so tottenham's,
2: tottenham's system or Mourinho's system at tottenham depended so heavily on kane and now they're just trying to figure out how to play without him. Obviously, they could sign a similar profile striker in terms of size and technique and, and how they play. Um, they need to get it right. If Bergwijn has been signed to play up front, I think it's going to go badly. I think if he's been signed to play on the wing, I think it will be fine.
0: Well, he just seems like a very similar esque player to Son and Moura. and sure, yeah. those players who sit around Kane and, and run off him and, and Bergman's a really intelligent footballer. I like him a lot mm. um quick and you know it does know where the goal is. There, you know he hasn't been yeah, prolific yeah. for PSV. I, I agree with you, but you know has been known to score goals. Does yeah. okay there for you know for for the national team and, and all sorts. But it's been such a strange one. The player they should have signed if they wanted that was Ryan Babel. Like, <laughs> came in, was excellent for Fulham last year, plays that number nine role quite well, is strong, and hold the ball up.
1: Was available. Uh,
0: and is technically gifted. And What's he's available? obviously gone back to, to Ajax, which is a nice move, and I'm, I'm yes. pleased for him. But just one of those things where that was that was the Dutch player you wanted if, yeah. if you yeah. were going to sign this.
2: I think, so, Bergwijn, again, fine. Good player. Jensen, good player. But this, this season doesn't end in a top four finish for Tottenham unless they sign the right striker to step in for Kane. And... I, I think I think William José would be the right profile. I don't think that Bergvine up front would work, and I don't think Piontek would be the right kind of player either.
0: Yeah, no, it does work. I was gonna say if you you look at that window and you go, Oh, you signed Bergvine, Piontek, Jetson Fernandez, on the surface that's a very successful window. But it hasn't really addressed any of the issues that Spurs had, which is Fullbacks and a hold-up player.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I do, I, do, I definitely saw. I definitely saw the need for uh, for a midfielder. So yeah, yeah I so agree. I'm fine, but yeah, Bergvine was not exactly a pressing concern. And you're right. He's uh, he's like Son, and he's like it's Lucas Moura, like good players, more comfortable cutting in from the flank and can deputise up front if you want them
0: to. Not to play there for three straight months. Yeah, no, three, no, three similar players. Agreed. Uh, is there any movement on the fullback front then, or are Spurs just seemingly? going to stick with Tanganga and
1: Ore. I think deadline day is going to be a, a big one for Spurs. It's actually traditionally they do usually do some business uh late on. Levy just the way loves that they work day. loves it absolutely. Loves so deadline. you've always got to keep an eye on them. And the messages were always like, Once Ericsson goes, expect some sort of knock on effect and a few deals to start falling through. You saw straight away they announced La Celso as soon as um Ericsson leaves, he's he's put onto a permanent contract, which was always likely to be the case. Just putting out some good news as soon as some bad news arrives. So they'll follow it up, I think, with at least two signings, put it that way. I'm excited for Giello Celso.
0: I think his started to started to take on. Started really to get on, but also with Eriksen now gone and actually fully removed from that berth, I think that we'll see Lacelso more and more. He's versatile, obviously can play as an 8 or a 10 mm. uh, in that system. I, I really think that he will kick on in the second half of the season. I'm excited to see how he develops.
2: It's a nice little thing for Tottenham fans to hold on to there. As they see Eriksen leave, they see Lacelso Celso sign fresh off the back of that... The, Involvement that he had in the goal against Southampton at the weekend. He just was very good against in transition. Southampton. He just ran past about four players and, oh, yeah. and laid it off. And it was like that's something that you can really you can really latch onto and be excited and optimistic about. Wonderful footballer. Wonderful footballer. Who's in it at three? Three is Manchester United. Can you believe wow. it? Why? Can you believe Why? it? I'm concerned about Manchester United if they don't sign reinforcements. I'm going to go that bland and overarching yeah. just because... Like, try, they don't have any players. Trying to get into the mind of Ed Woodward is a difficult one. But yeah, they don't have enough, they don't have enough players. They have problems all over the place. Again, they're in this, this striker carousel we've been talking about. That's because Rashford is out for two or, or three months or so with a back problem. They need a midfielder. I mean, they, they could use they could use quite a lot of different things to be honest with you. But with United, it's always we've we've almost covered it without talking about Manchester United in this section
0: throughout today, haven't we? Um, they have no players. Like this is one of the things I was like thinking about. All these players are being overworked because the squad is so thin. I, we How do, has this? We happened? said this in August. Do you remember?
2: My, yeah. One of my yeah. Was like, they just don't have enough players. They shipped out all the deadwood and then didn't replace them. They did half a summer's work over the course of three
1: months and are paying for it. There was a funny story that broke on Twitter on tuesday morning about sander burge arriving at carrington <laughs> for his man united medical and it of caught me i was like what that's not what i've heard and uh, qu- very quickly it became clear that um that wasn't who they'd seen at the training ground it was just the under 15s goalkeeper in a car um like, oh he looks norwegian he must he must be sander burge <laughs> tall and nor-
2: yeah tall i mean and- I th- honestly if you guys haven't seen sander burge play he's about six foot three maybe six four he is absolutely humongous he, there's no
1: 15-year-old on the planet that that size. Like, it's crazy that that happens. But what happened with United as well, United had long-term interest in him, so it kind of made sense. Yeah. But I was told literally the day before that United had been sounding out one more time about Burge, was there any interest? And the transfer negotiator there, uh, Matt Jarge, was one of the guys involved and kind of made it clear, like... Just not on our radar right now. That's just not. That's just not one of our priorities. Before this window closes, um, even if it's a loan deal, like there's there's other things we would probably need to get done before that happens, which surprised me because why wouldn't you want Sander Burge? And it looks like Sheffield United suddenly become front runners to sign a player who's really talented. <laughs> also, obviously, they need a striker given the lack of goals. We just need with a be. everything, out. though. Don't know.
0: Centre midfield is surely the next pressing area that you mm. have. Long standing interest in fixing yeah. it, in kind of shoring up.
1: Maybe on the back of all these fans getting so excited about the potential spotting, they'll be back in for him tomorrow and this deal <laughs> will actually happen. And you know, it'll stand Sander Burge just to appease people. Yeah, it's just a really weird one.
0: Like, you know, Angel Gomez has been. Sounded out as on his way out as well. Now you know a lot of interest, refusing
1: to sign a new contract. Yeah. Reportedly, I think there's other issues there with with Gomez. Of I think, course, honestly. but it,
0: you know again, that's another player going from a yeah. squad that's already threadbare. Yeah, and also and very talented. Yeah, it's just a, the whole thing seems like it's a shambles, basically. Yeah.
2: Also, like I can't, I still can't believe this happened. Ashley Young joined Inter Milan. Yeah. That's how bad things got. Like what's go, like United? Like I know that he's not the most popular player, but like he's a sometime Andy. he's he's, like, he's a sometime captain. <laughs> He is at least professional and plays about six positions. Mm. Given they have no players, someone that is that versatile is really useful. Yeah.
0: It doesn't make any sense. And important in dressing room. Apart, well. apart from Ashley Young, who must be over the moon. And yeah. You know what? I'm absolutely delighted for him. Fair no, play to Ashley Young. He's been a hell of a servant to yeah. yeah. Man United. Good He's career. taken a lot, of, a lot of flack for things that weren't necessarily his fault. And now... He's gone off to Italy for his swan song, uh, a resurgent into Milan under Antonio Conte. Yeah. Go on, lad. He's going to go and tripier the hell out of that. Yeah. Well, I'd be delighted.
1: For <laughs> but like it. Sam's concern over Man United, you look at their fixtures. I mean, the day that this podcast goes out, they've got Man City in the League Cup, which we can write off because very unlikely they're going to turn that one around. But then they've got Wolves at home, Chelsea away, then they go and play Bruges in the Europa League, which is kind of important to them now. And even you like think Watford at home, and you think, well, they'll win that one. Will they? <laughs> I don't know just, they, they will. just lost to them at Vickers Road. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know that they will. It's a strange one. And look, there's
0: plenty to come, you'd imagine, if you're, you'd hope, if you're a United fan, you'd oh. think these next two days, three days in the window. Well, you've seen the protests are are really stepping crucial. up now ag-
1: against the board and everything and the owners. And it's it's really changed the, the whole vibe. they the crowd that go inside Old Trafford have have really tried to stick together. They've been just, patient. Yeah. They have been patient, yeah. It's been very different to the vibe that you see on Twitter every week. But those match-going fans have just seen it through. And that Burnley defeat was a turning point because it was as bad as anything they've seen in the Premier League era. From the, the last four managers, uh, Moyes, Mourinho, Van Gaal, and, and now uh, Solskjaer, it's pretty much as bad as it's got. You saw the stadium half empty. I mean, that was half because... It was an 8.15 kickoff, which people do leave the grounds early when you kick off at that time because they've got to get home. Mm. Um, but ultimately, that was a low point. Yes, they bounced back by beating Tranmere 6-0. Forget that. Let's look at that Wolves game at the weekend because that's going to be huge for that club. Sam, that means two left. Who yeah. you got? Number two, West Ham. West Ham
2: United. And there are no ifs. I'm just concerned, full stop, yeah. every day, all day, all the time. I don't understand this club. I don't understand any of it, really. And I'm guessing, as well, a lot of our global listeners may not be 100% tuned in to like the carnage of West Ham, particularly with regard to like the stadium disputes and the, and, and the fan protests against the owners and things like that. Yeah. And you obviously get more of a sense of it when you live in England. But for those of you in the United States and worldwide, they may not know just how much of a flaming wreck West Ham appear to be right now. Mm. You've obviously seen the results, not good. You've obviously seen the fact that they've gone back to David Moyes. Players are good. The squad is is good. The summer summer business, in principle, Mm. was good. They signed good players. But then... You insert these players into this into this environment, and I don't know exactly what happens. And look, this does happen in football. You've seen it with clubs that tend to be relegated. There's like a kind of a poisonous atmosphere at the clubs. And, and you, can, you can drop five great players into that situation, and they can become useless. Yeah. And West Ham, you look through that team, and you just think with Fabianski, uh, you think Issa Diop, Declan Rice, Felipe Anderson, Pablo Fornals, Sebastian Allaire, they're all excellent. Like they are all—they'd all start for like a lot of teams in like in Europe's top five leagues, like top ten in the table. Even the kind of like okay players, like Aaron Cresswell. Like if, if West Ham got relegated and Cresswell was on the market, you can absolutely bet that a top ten Premier League side would be. Yeah, in like him Chelsea would probably come in for him. Because yeah. the talent is not in question, and it's just one of those things that you can't really put your finger on. We saw last week there was fan protesting against the owners. They're not happy uh, with how the club is being run. The stadium. I mean, I absolutely despise that stadium. I've been once and I don't think I'm ever going to go again. The London Stadium, obviously formerly the Olympic Stadium, they demolished Upton Park a few years ago and said a very emotional goodbye to it and then moved into this place,
0: which is just kind of soulless. Can Um, I read you a bit from this wonderful post? Yeah. Um, It's been going around doing the rounds on Twitter today. It was at Kieran Maguire, Price of Football, we tweeted it, but it's from the Knees Up Mother Brown website, which Mm -hmm. is a big West Ham fan site. And, some of the you know things that you read about the about the London Stadium, it's, it's hard to kind of digest. But this is true. It, he says you're so far from the singing, you can only recognise bubbles. Any new ditty gets barely a whimper and cannot make the rounds because it's too big. The clap has taken over simply because it can be heard and it's easier to join in. You listen to the away support. You sold your soul for this shit hole. You don't disagree. And it's just there's another line was about the Berlin and it says the soul of West Ham United was destroyed in the dust of destruction at Upton Park. The men responsible for that destruction are still at the helm today, churning out the same old razzle-dazzle nonsense, knowing full well there is a new mug born every day. And it's just it cruel. And for someone who supports a small yeah. you know, club with a historic home and that there's not a big bowl or a gigantic new stadium... Mm. The kind of soul of being part of one of these clubs is so so crucial to the element yeah. of it, and it feels like West Ham is being further and further taken away from what it once was, day by day.
1: It's just not West Ham. I, I think, feel sorry for him.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. This, you're, not, you're not West Ham anymore. It's funny that you said that you hated Upton Park and the bling Ground. That was part of it. Well, that the exactly part was of, part of, it, of it, it was that it was a tough place to go. A it horrible a place walkers, to go. It was intimate the it fans was were right on, top on top of, you. of the, the players, players. Could hear
1: every single thing that was said to him from a throw in from a corner even if you were probably like 10 yards into the into the field like you could have heard someone shouting at you because it was that on top of you the, the
0: Berlin was West Ham and West Ham were the Berlin and <laughs> taking them away from that home has severed so much of what the club was yeah. about and look yeah. not all of that was good and there are plenty of things that were negative about old football and we romanticized the kind of old school days of football a lot because that's how it was. But it wasn't all good. There was plenty of things that we're trying to stamp out of the game that were rife back then. But... That doesn't mean that you have to abandon all tenets no. of something to, to try and... You can
1: make, have new stadiums that are great, like Tottenham's. I've like, got no problem with building a new stadium yeah. and moving, but it has to be the right move. It's, it's not, a football stadium. It, yeah, West Ham's is not a football stadium. Yeah. I hated it.
2: I saw a game happen in the distance when I went. So anyway, look, it's enough to do with... Travel. Yeah, they could use a few pieces, yeah. but I'm just generally West for Ham. West Ham's
0: soul. Yeah, I completely agree. I just don't
2: think that the club... Who tops there? (laughs) Well, at number one is, and this may sound a little bit strange on the back of the week they just had, is Napoli. Yeah. I'm worried about Napoli if they can't motivate themselves to play a full half season... Like that. Like in the way that they just played their last week. And I'm worried about them if they can't repair the relationships at the club that are just... are so broken and so damaged and are so damaging to them in terms of league stakes. So they've just come off the back of two big wins. So it does sound weird to say this. They beat Lazio in the Coppa Italia in midweek. And then they beat
1: Juventus at the weekend. It was a good game. Yeah, it was a good game. Um, but I did have a feeling throughout that like, you couldn't really read too much into Napoli's win because they were so motivated by the fact Sari was back there in the dugout and Higuain was on the pitch, and they just wanted to get one over on them. It like, was like someone had strapped the Duracell battery to every player's back. It really was. They all upped their game by, like, 50%. The fans were so amped for it, and every time something happened, they would cut to Higuain or they would cut to Sari on the TV just to see how they were reacting. And when they, when they went 2-0 up, the place just went crazy. You see Insigne and the way it's that a, it's he's has got like no danger
0: of losing its soul. Let's put it that. Yeah, one, there's yeah. certainly
1: nothing like West Ham, even though they their fans can be a bit far from the pitch there as well. It's a club. It's a club where who stated might actually fall down. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. San Paolo is in bad nick, but yeah, the soul is still intact. But yeah, so it was hard to read too much into it, and you you just wonder, you know, can they reinvent that? Week after week after week.
2: They can't play Juve every week. They can't play Sari every week. They can't play Iguain every week. And, you know, there's a malaise that's crept into Napoli over the last three or four months. And we've obviously questioned in previous weeks, do we think Gattuso is the right man to, to strap them back in? Not really. I don't think he He got them right. up for a game like
0: that. Well, right. that's what I mean. It's a stuck between stations, right? Because you can get Gatuso to amp loads of players up for a big occasion. He's exactly the man you want for that, yeah. or for a cup quarterfinal, yeah. or for all of those things. He's built totally. to amp players up. What he's not built for is to develop quite a good passing squad into, uh, you know, a, yeah. a, a cohesive attacking unit uh-huh. once again. And that's where they've been falling down before this. So after the game, he said, like, obviously, loads, loads to be proud of. Hopefully,
2: it's the start of something. All your standard things that a manager would say after that. He also said, we need to continue to think about Napoli 24-7. I'm going to go home thinking about Napoli. I'm going to wake up thinking about Napoli. and Everybody else in the squad needs to do that. And that's the kind of uh, commitment and intensity that he wants from these players. They're just not going to do that. They they, they aren't. We've seen over the last two months or so that there are certain players in this team that are not committed to this because of the fallout that we've had with the chairman, him wanting to fine all of the players, him supposedly putting them up for sale. You look at Napoli's business. They're, they're pre-stocking players in January ahead of what is definitely going to be a fire sale. Well, it's a midfield clear out, isn't it? Everyone's off and a centre back clear out. For, like you know, Labotka has come in, Diego Demi has come in, Amir Romani has come in. I haven't seen Amir Romani, but Labotka and Dembe, very good, very good players. Very good player. but, but you it know means what? That Fabian Ruiz and Elana are off, right? But you know, you know what this means. This is preempting. This is preempting. And I don't under, I don't know how a squad of players or a team, a football team, can negotiate five months of a a year where like some of them don't want to be there
0: everybody knows that like change is coming like this is not a healthy atmosphere to be in it's not like Leicester redshirting which we've talked about so much in the last couple of weeks where they bring in a player to make a replacement when the when the time comes no Stanislav Bocca is not going to walk in there and be like I'm not playing that's fine for five months Mm. he's a quality quality midfielder and the same with Demi yeah like they are very very good footballers And then, you know, Alan's not been in squads. He's been in and out of the team. No one's quite sure what's going on. Fabian Ruiz is wanted by pretty much everyone in Europe. He must be like, right my time is coming this team is a bit of a mess he's also not a Gattuso player is he? Rabin really. Ruiz-, Ruiz is not fire and fury no no
2: and Kulibar is the same and Dries Mertens is coming up to the end of his contract like we are on the cusp of a clear out and that's not a very healthy position to be in it's the same position that Tottenham started the season in Yeah, it's exactly what we've been talking about With they need long term solutions to contracts to Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen we need a solution with Christian and you need Questions to be answered over Hugo Lloris and whoever else. It's the same poisonous atmosphere that settles into a team and creates a situation like Tottenham. Napoli are having exactly the same thing. They're preloading all of their players ahead of the summer, ahead of a a fire sale. I don't know if that's a good tactic, because then everyone just knows they're available for sale, so maybe you can't drive the highest price. I don't know. But I don't see how this this atmosphere is conducive to a good season. And then you add in perhaps the most obvious bit of the whole thing, which is Napoli sitting 10th. Uh, despite the fact that they just beat Juventus, they sit in tenth place. They are twelve points off fourth. This it's squad, this squad is not happy and is like they're up against a, a very good Roma side and an excellent Lazio, Inter, and Juve for top four.
0: They're not going to make it. No, they're not going to make it, and so the season will be a failure. Just before we close this section off, I just want to put one thing out there for me and that while all of this is relative and you know the trials and tribulations of being a Man United fan are different to the trials and tribulations of being a West Ham fan or supporting Napoli or Fiorentina or whoever, I just want to extend a hand of, I suppose, appreciation and friendship to the clubs that I'm genuinely concerned for right now. I'm talking malaga being cored from the inside out and staring financial ruin in the face bolton wanderers narrowly escaped a winding up order but on the brink of back-to-back relegations we'll put them in the fourth tier of english football macclesfield town Bari, coventry rao mercia the list goes on clubs in genuine peril and i don't want that to take away from the stresses and strains of being a fan of any of these clubs because you know like i say it's all relative but just a tad of perspective when your team lose or when you're worried about coming fifth in the premier league or not winning silverware just spare a thought for those whose football club might not exist in six months time and you know some of these names here we're talking are are grand old players in the game. Malaga were Champions League less than 10 years ago. Bolton Wanderers were a Premier League side for ages and ages and ages. JJ Okocha so good they named him twice was the captain there for so long. These aren't just teams that have just fallen off the bottom of the pyramid. Some of these sides are genuine old school powerhouses that have fallen away and, and that's sad. And one I don't think you mentioned there, Barry And Bury of- have Well yeah, Bury, I, They're my thoughts and prayers are all they're gone. gone. They've gone. they that, finished. That's,
2: that's what these clubs are facing and we hope they don't have to actually in the end
0: face up to- Exactly, and just that's it. When, you know, when you're looking at things, and obviously it's for Man United fans right now, it's really tough given the ownership situation, given the director of football situation, and, uh, and look, I'm not downplaying any of those things, but there is a difference between being a club in crisis and not playing very well, but still spending £80 million pounds on a yeah. centre-back last summer and not being able to pay your staff. I just think it's yeah. important to put that into, you know. Yeah. Well very so. deep, well 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 done. Right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of
1: the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Roma goalkeeper, Pal Lopez. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. I hate giving Pal any criticism. I love Pal. He's a very good goalkeeper, but he ruined the Rome derby for his team. He did, yeah. (laughs) Roma were 1-0 up. Dzeko had scored. They
0: were in complete control as well. They absolutely dominated. This wasn't coming. There was no
1: need for this equaliser to happen. Lazio get a corner, comes in, pretty harmless. Headed up in the air, it's going wide. Everyone's kind of just waiting for him to let it out of bounds. But it's one of those
0: weird ones where it loops all
2: the way. It
1: did loop up. up. It's and off it's like, a Roma
0: head as well. So, so, so he's trying. I think he's trying
1: to prevent I think it the David Stans on. Yeah, heads it up, but it's just like just leave it. It's it's just going nowhere near goal. He's really he, pick it. <laughs> he punches it back into his own box, like like a amateur footballer. Well, he sort of flips it off the bar, doesn't he? Yeah. he sort of like.
0: Pushes it up in the air, hits off the bar. It's like comes the brain freeze. Yeah,
1: it's really weird. And prevents another corner, but in turn gives Chris Smalling an absolute nightmare to deal with. He can't react in time to do anything with it. And Francesco Acerbi just says, Thanks very much. Says, Thank you very much and just knocks it into the back of the net. And everyone's kind of looking around. Even the Lazio players don't celebrate for yeah, that. They're like, Oh, surely it's gone. It was like, It must have gone out of play or something. What? Yeah. And then they're like, And I had no sound on at the time, so I couldn't hear the commentary. And I was like, what's happening? This can't be a goal. It's like a full-on stop. And straight away, I was like... It's can't possib- I can't possibly just in a live melon of the week so easily. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Thanks, Paul Lopez. That's a, good, that's a good point, actually,
2: when you say amateur goalkeeping. That
1: is exactly
2: what you would expect on a Sunday
1: morning. It really is. you like just walking past a park and you see someone do that. You're like, oh. It's just a, a, a fat lad with some gloves on
2: who doesn't, who doesn't play in goal. <laughs> and you just whip the corner into near the goal line and he just kind of
1: waves his arms <laughs> at it. It's it really bad. so weird that he did you that. You did get
0: another good suggestion on Twitter, though, didn't you?
1: Yeah, it was the... Uh, I didn't actually. I haven't actually seen that yet, but it was the well, referee forgot his cards or something. Yeah, in, in Holland, the referee forgot in, yeah, in his was cards. It. Which is absolutely <laughs> yeah. exceptional. Matuidi was a contender as well because he set up Napoli's first goal by putting in a cross that cut out five of his own players and played it back towards the halfway line and they counted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All the things you want in a Man of the Week. Right, let's spin the roulette with.
0: Which of Europe's top leagues... Should I be watching more of right now? This, this is thing. a
1: question that was put to me a couple of times on Instagram recently, but also when I was out in Michigan with the lads... We added it to the list. Yeah, two people out there said, I watch, I watch the Premier League all the time, but like it's really hard to decide like which games I should actually watch because there's so many and I can't watch them all. Which one league would you advise me to watch? Even if, even if the question didn't involve the taking Premier, the, Premier you don't just watch out. the Premier League out, suggest- if
0: I was just talking to someone who doesn't watch any of the leagues... The Premier League would be reasonably low down. It's done. It's finished. It's over. Yeah.
2: Right now, yeah. It's, it's, it's not something I watch out of pure joy at this point. Genuinely, they're a professional thing. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of others that I'm more interested in. I'll let you guys go first. Yeah, well, I told left. him
1: La Liga. I said, if you've got to pick one league, then pick La Liga. And if nothing else, because you need to be watching Barcelona and Real Madrid regularly, because what they're doing, usually one of them is setting the tone for what is going to happen for the rest of the season in the Champions League. One of them is going to be in the final. And you just... If you've got those two bases covered and you've watched some of the other games in La Liga, then you're seeing pretty much the best football in Europe most of the time.
0: I am a La Liga aficionado, as you know. A La Liga TV, putting seven games a weekend on Yeah, we're lucky UK we've finally
1: got a lot of Spanish football on
0: our TV. Like, absolutely. It's good? That up to my veins immediately. I've already you know, been very, very involved in that. But I still think the best storylines in La Liga exist outside El Clasico.
1: Stadiums are great. The coverage is really great. good on TV, no matter where you're watching. Sociedad, the Basque
0: sides are exceptional. Uh, There's so many stories. Yeah. The Seville derby, the whole thing. There's just so much going on in La Liga. You agree, It's Sam? brilliant.
2: Sure. I mean, I watch Granada most weeks. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm here for. Um, if you guys are picking sort of La Liga, I think Serie A is absolutely awesome. I think the Bundesliga title race is going to be the best title race you see this season. So there's one for the Bundesliga. I watch I watch Bundesliga, Serie A and La Liga happily at this point. And I watch all three of them more than I watch Premier League generally. Yeah, I do, I just do. And But with Serie A, I just feel like it, it's kind of like a conversion of my interest this season. I think The answer to this question is, is allowed to change every season. Yeah, it should change every season. It should, because you need to look at what what it's shaping up to be and why you should be excited or managers that you like or players that you like or certain teams that have signed certain players. I mean, I've talked before about how I like like Roma this year. Like Fonseca's Roma, I like a lot. And they are starting to find themselves. Lazio have surprised me massively. They look Mm -hmm. great. You've got an actual title race between Inter and Juve. Conte against Sari. Sorry, three-way title race. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> three-way title race. Atalanta, as we've already talked about, loads of fun. AC Milan, like I just find myself watching Milan a lot. I, I like watch them. loads of AC. Milan, I don't know what it yeah. is about them. I like them a lot. I talk about them a lot.
1: It's like a They've, guilty pleasure. I think.
2: They haven't been very good, no. but they are starting to get there. They're yeah. up to they're up to eighth now, and obviously it was a lot worse. Jack talks about Fiorentina constantly. I think there's so many Proper chaos club. players and storylines in Italy that I feel more attached to right now than any other league. Um, I, but again, it's okay for that to change on a seasonal basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know my, my love for La Liga, but I think the most exciting league in the world right now is the Bundesliga. Mm. And the fact, you just, you just have to look at this weekend for the Bundesliga to, to really get about how nuts this title race is. You know, there are seven points between first and sixth, mm. uh, and everybody is beating everybody, and not even just a bit, like you know, Bayern came out of the weekend and absolutely hammered six place Schalke. And everyone was expecting, you know, Bayern have been a bit toothless at times this season. And, you know, Schalke are well-drilled, well-set up under Daniel Farker and have done uh, David David Wagner Wagner. and have been a really good side, for you know, for a lot of the season. Bayern absolutely blitzed them. It was one of the biggest beatings I think I've seen this season. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, Gladbach who were top, have fallen off a little bit, but are on the march again. Yeah. You know, they, they've been so... And much, then Leipzig lost well, at the Leipzig weekend. Leipzig lost to Frankfurt, who have were last season's surprise package, have dropped off a bit this year, but as we can see, can still cause the big boys a lot of trouble yeah. when, when they need to. And and then it's Haaland and Sancho. And then it's Haaland and Sancho at, at Dortmund. They're on 36 points. They're four points off the lead, three points behind Bayern. Haaland's scoring for fun. Sancho's assisting for fun. It's just... so brilliant in the Bundesliga at the moment and I think that while I love La Liga and I love the storylines and it's my favourite league if I was suggesting to one person to watch a league for the rest of this season it would be the Bundesliga I think that's a fair shout
2: I think you've got three really strong shouts there notable that we all agree the Premier League is just not in that conversation you just don't need to watch it at this point last
0: spin last spin OK, what has been the wildest moment of the January transfer window so far?
1: Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was asked about Alexis Sanchez and says, Alexis will come back in the summer and prove you's all wrong. Why us? Man United are the ones that paid him 500 grand a week and then loaned him out to Inter Milan because he was no good. Why is he proving us? You're the ones. <laughs> he he's why are you wrong. turning this around on us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, It's just a bizarre, the whole sentence. So obviously he's not coming back in the summer. So he's saying Alexis is coming back to play for Man United. And it's like, why? Why is Alexis Cohen? Well,
0: also, it's it's a complete counterpoint to everything they've said is their transfer philosophy. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, we're going to bring back an old player and they'll present it as a new signing. You know they will. But that's just completely antithesis to everything United have said they're going to do.
1: It stinks of them realizing that they are no longer the draw that they once were. And they're realizing how hard it is to. They've missed out on Haaland. They're struggling to sign Bruno Fernandes. What, are they going to get Jaden Sancho? Are they going to get James Madison? Are, is this them admitting, like, we don't know if we can sign our top targets, so we've got a good player out there in Alexis. We probably should have kept Lukaku as well, but we can't get him back. Um I look I mean he's on so much money and they can't shift
2: him I think you've got no choice but to try and strike a tune out of him. I uh, know it depends. If he gets back in pre-season he's obviously he off the pace. Just must be so bang out of I, would, form by I now. would I would try and strike a tune out of Alexis next season. I would do my best to make it work because of the amount of money that is attached to him But I definitely wouldn't be like, he's going to prove you wrong. He's going to prove you all wrong. It's such a
0: big claim.
2: I think he's just got really defensive. I think it's it's a really silly thing to say because now he's put loads
1: of pressure on Alexis Sanchez to come back and be great. Alexis must have picked up his phone after training at Interteam and been like, what? 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 (laughs) I'm not going back there. I'm going to MLS.
0: I'm trying to get out of here. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to go play for Atlanta United and I I for one. What's
1: your your your
0: answer? This picture, and obviously... Look, this oh, is, yeah! This is an audio
2: format podcast, so you can't see this, so <laughs> I will describe the picture. It is a picture of Hattem Ben Arthur, sometime genius, sometime not a footballer, but when he's on it, my goodness me, is there a more Some player. A very few more naturally talented players in the world, is shaking hands with original R9 Ronaldo because he's signed for Real Valladolid on loan. Obviously Ronaldo now owns and runs Real Valladolid, so he has signed Ben Arthur, and it's just that what I don't know what happened in my brain this morning when I saw this picture but something good happened. It was a good emotion. It was a fuzzy kind of warm. This is everything I like about football kind of this is and this is mad. This picture should not exist.
0: Hatem Ben Arfa is one of my favorite players as you might be able to guess because he's an absolute like lunatic off the cuff genius yeah. who doesn't turn up 90% of the time and but when he does he's like everything he does is magic yeah. and he's such a flawed footballer he's such a flawed character in in many ways but he's such a wonderful person to watch in full yeah. flow and you know you sometimes get those kind of mad geniuses and there's a very thin line between madness and genius as they as they say he is just one of them if you catch Hatem ben Arfa on a good day you you'd, you'd walk out of stadiums thinking that there is no better player on earth yeah and and that in itself, having another player character like that in La Liga, which we've just spoke about, yeah. about it being you know a little bit calmer and a little bit more, you know, susceptible to technical types. Mm-hmm. Go oh. for it, absolutely. Go for it. I get the get impression, involved. Ben Arthur,
2: 32 now, who turned 33 in March. I just get because he's actually he saved himself for so many periods of the seasons. His legs are probably about 24 years of age. So I reckon Ben Arthur will be, when he's 40, he'll still be playing top-level football and still taking six games off in every seven, (laughs) dominating in that seventh game at age 40. Because he wants to. He does what he wants.
0: Right, Sam, the nonsense siren.
2: Okay, time for nonsense, yeah. uh, Original plan was to do um, the the top three things that I don't get, but the list ended up 477 items (laughs) long, so I just... (laughs) That was just about football. I just canned it. So I've gone with something else. I've gone for the three most difficult menial day-to-day tasks. In at number three, uh, changing the duvet. I mean, it's tough. I would have thought I'd got the hang of it by now, but I really haven't. I'm quite bad.
0: I like this one because I'm perfectly capable at doing this, but it is genuinely more hassle than it's worth, so I am with you.
2: I do, like, I can do it. I just do it. And I often
0: do it badly. Like,
2: it's lumpy or it's uneven or a um, wrong ending. Yeah, mm, you don't. You shake it out, and like, then you get to the top bit that you actually pull over your body at the top of the bed, and like, it's all sheet and no duvet because it's fallen down. Mm. There are just like lots of pitfalls. I, I think I am better than this at you than you are. Yeah, I will give I myself. Mean, but this people. is a two-person job. I do it by myself. I mean, I, Rachel won't do it by herself. She makes me help, and I make it worse. And number two, uh, taking your coat off while you're in a car.
1: Yeah, yeah. driving
2: or just well, obviously past- it's it's harder when you drive. Dangerous even, if you're driving. Even as even as a passenger, it's tough because my, it my my wingspan is is pretty mighty, and I'm all elbows, and I'm always really worried about elbowing the driver. Right, if you try and take your uh, your coat off in the car on the motorway, and you did that, and like knocked someone, knocked the driver, yeah. then you're in danger of of, of, of of dying. So I recently got a car again for the first time since 2014, and I'm relearning like some of the essential rules, like. It goes to the toilet before you go on the long drive. Otherwise, you have to stop because obviously on trains, they're just there. Get your sunglasses, otherwise, you can't see the road and you crash. But taking your car off before you start driving is just one of those things that I'm going to have to get back into the rhythm of doing. And yeah. so far, I've fallen found. i run it. outside.
1: T- start the car, turn the heater on, come yeah. back five minutes later. But
2: you don't if it's in particularly in this weather, you don't want to get into the car and take your coat off immediately because it's so cold. So yeah, you're right. Also the car I've got is quite old, so it takes a while. But yeah, this is this is proving to yeah, be a real no, problem. That's a reasonable one. Yeah. Um, I'll say one. Uh, making a cup of tea. Oh come. On. I mean well, I am so bad at this. How so I don't it's drink, not hard. I don't drink tea, I'm I don't like it. Yeah, no, but that's so not, there's that's not so there's no still a basic So there's no like um there's no practice here. There's no appreciation for the craft. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a personality defect at this point. Um, and I, you know, when guests come around and ask for a cup of tea, obviously I, I'm a good host. I say, "Would you like a drink?" And they go, "Yeah, I'd have a cup of tea, please." Fucking hell, I panic. So, um, <laughs> and the, I tell you, I tell you where this problem stems from. I once made a cup of tea for my friend. He said it was so bad that he never, he's never allowed me to make him another. And now when he comes around to my house. He does it himself. He brings his own tea bags and his own milk as if everything I did the first time was completely
0: and utterly wrong. He doesn't trust How? one point of the process. How can milk? you get a cup of tea that wrong? Well, I don't, I don't know. I can Mate, th- I can here's make, a quick, I can here's make... A Jack Collins five-second rule. right? Tea bag, water in, yeah. stir it a bit, but leave it for like two minutes. Two minutes? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yes, two true. to three minutes, maybe more. You have to leave it. Then stir it a bit more, take the tea bag out, add some, add some milk. A little it bit of person. milk. A little bit of milk. There you go, bang.
2: All right. I think it's hot water, by the way, not just any water. Yeah. yeah. I, so I've tended to leave the tea bag in for around 15 seconds. No, there's so no wonder but, your tea doesn't taste for anything. So this is Rach. I've learned to make Rach a cup of tea. I just can't make anybody else one. And Rach drinks it with 15 seconds in. 15 seconds in. That's and not, just barely hot, tea. Wa- That's
0: hot water. Barely are, tea. I mean, it I mean, uh, doesn't matter. Rachel, sort it, yourself out. Yeah, Rage, I'm not having that.
2: Honestly, it doesn't matter what the cup of tea looks like, how long you
1: left the tea bag. I think it's disgusting. So I can't tell the difference. Well, it's because you've only drunk 15 second yeah, tea like. It's because it's horrible. No, I'll make you So now,
0: anyway, that is actually pure nonsense. I can't believe you can't make a cup of tea. Thank you so much for listening to Sam Waffle on about that. And thank you for listening for this episode of being our football ranks all's left for me to do is say thank you very much Dean Jones cheers thank you very much Sam Ty. thank you mate do never ever ever go round to Sam's house and have a cup of tea because you'll end up drinking hot water with milk Uh, apart from that I've been Jack Collins this has been BR Football Ranks please keep sharing the pod sharing it with your mates if you're new to the pod thank you so much for listening make sure you subscribe and lock in and we will see you very shortly ranks, thanks